Today on the show we talk the what's what of the week, the future and possible death of the convention, a classic gem from the Nostalgia Box, and Umbrella Academy Season 2. We have the tail with the custard creams and we're raring to go. While it's at the ready, the arcade is open for business. Bing bong, diagwit, August Falcher, you are listening to DRK Podcast, uh, where two Irish lads talk the what's what in gaming, movies and everything in between, and where the crack is top notch, and all that sweet jazz. My name is Sean, and with me is Stephen. Hello, hello. Did you like that bit of Irish? That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think I was going to be able to land that, but I did it, yeah. I'm actually really impressed with myself. <laughs> and they're like, just going to it really, really slowly. Don't cock it up, and you'll be good. fine. It was good, yeah, it was yeah. good. I uh, I brought that in and omitted the little gaming reference that we've been doing for the last few weeks. Mm. You know, I figured <laughs> the Irish was enough for my <laughs> uh, creative mind during the week. Um, good week this week. Very boring. Nothing happened. Are you serious? Again, nothing. Well, nothing really happened. There was a lot of announcements, but actually, nothing came along with them. Mm. And we'll find out when we get in. Uh, really quick before we get into this one, I want to bring up last week's where we talked about cancel culture and we went about cancel culture a really, really nice way because cancel culture is not what I thought it was. It's uh, quite worse. Did you, do you know what it is? Yes, yeah, not about racism. No, well, no, it can be. See, the whole thing around cancel culture is uh, you cancel people, famous people, more or less. And by doing this, you dig up like really bad things they've done in the past and put it out against them. Yeah, but cancel culture also, it's also gaming-based. Well, it can be anything-based, <coughs> but, you know, it's its nothing to do with what we were talking about. Why, what haters were? What do you mean? Do we do we have any haters? Oh, we had no haters. No, once again, our socials were very quiet. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> uh, no, but no, I, I, like, I stumbled across something that another person, like, I think it was Megan Fox or something, had put up. It was all, because I was watching these videos on uh, Transformers, the Transformers when she was in, and obviously, like, it brought up the whole thing about uh, her relationship with Michael Bay on the set because do you remember that was a big deal like 10 no, years oh ago yeah. now? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so cancel culture isn't just, you know, the real happy thing that we talked about and how you reminisce about the good times that could have been. No, no, it's far worse. I just wanted to get that out of the way. I thought okay. that was interesting, you know. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's that. That's that. Shall we carry on with this show though? The Arcade Episode 8. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's kick off the show with the What's What, commonly referred to as the Goss on the Street. This is the segment of the show where we talk about what's been watching in the world this week. And starting off, we have a lot of Netflix thingies. I'm going to kick it off with the Netflix slash Ubisoft thing that they're doing, which is the Splinter Cell anime. This is coming. That's weird. Yeah. Have um, you heard about this? No. You haven't heard about this yet? No. Uh, so this came out during the week. Uh, Netflix and Ubisoft have partnered up to make a Splinter Cell anime. The John Wick writer, Derek Colstad, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, is uh, heading up the adaptation. It's allegedly been confirmed for two seasons with 16 episode runs, but I have no idea if that's like two seasons with eight episodes each or two uh, two seasons with 16 episodes each. Um, but so far, Ubisoft, uh, the writer, and Netflix have denied any commenting on the show further. But yeah, we're getting a Splinter Cell anime, which is... Really interesting, considering for the last few weeks we have talked about adaptations in the general route of anime video games. Yeah. 
Yeah. But like, you know, this is this is the start of uh of those shows coming. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh I, I'm quite happy for it, do you know. Um I have mentioned on the show before that I want Sam Fisher to come back in some form or another. So I'll take an anime any day of the week. You know? Will a revolve around him though or Oh it has to. Yeah, you can't really have Splinter Cell without Sam Fisher. It's like uh it's like um butter and marmalade, you know, can't have one without the other. I thought you were gonna say like Uncharted without Nathan Drake. See now I would I could have said that if I was actually could thinking have, yeah. straight. And then it just dawned on me I don't actually like butter with marmalade. I Even just prefer one or the other. One out when they like tried to do the spin off and it just The Lost Legacy. Oh yeah. Oh it I actually got that recently and it's just not it's I, like I like Chloe as a character, I don't like her as the main character. It's a fun side story, but it's not what I expected. Anyway, moving on, uh, another Ubisoft and Netflix thing. They've also announced, I think it was a day after the Splinter Cell thing came out, they're doing a Beyond Good and Evil movie. Yeah, this is going to be a sort of live-action animation hybrid, which is essentially what every film is these days, with the power of uh, CGI, and if you just look at the MCU, like, that's... So basically, the trailer that was dropped at E3, well, how many years ago now? About four. Was it four? Four, like 2016, 2017, Beyond Good and Evil 2. So they're not even going to make the game, they're just going to like. I think they're going to make the game, but I don't know. Now, this could be the route they're going. So it's like a Beowulf esque type movie. No, it will have live action characters in it. See, this is, again, it's, it's directed by uh, Rob Letterman, who worked on Detective Pikachu. Oh. So it'll be something along those right. lines. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's like an updated version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that kind of style of film making. Yes, I get you. Uh, this film is in the early days of development, but yeah, this is this. I'm, I've noticed a big trend now. Ubisoft have definitely sort of thrown all their eggs in the Netflix basket, as it was. Yeah, well, why not? Why not branch out? Like, just because you're a gaming company doesn't mean you can't branch out with your IPs, because some. Lost IPs could do well as television shows and mm. movies. And their previous uh, attempts at making <coughs> films were a bit shameful. Assassin's Creed was just horrible. Yeah, look, at I think they'll be more cautious. There was, a, there was a lot of stuff alongside Assassin's Creed that was announced. Like, we were meant to be getting a Watch Dogs movie and uh, a Division film. And maybe another Assassin's Creed movie. They were all sort of announced around the same time, but... I think because the negative feedback that um, Assassin's Creed got, those films were sort of shelved. It all depends on the what, like what way you handle it. That is very true. That I is think very they, true. They rushed ahead with Assassin's Creed. If they, hadn't, if they hadn't have rushed ahead and actually explained the story from day one, probably would have got better reception. If they had worked more on the Spanish Inquisition parts, yeah, the actual bits that are interesting from the game, rather than dumping us with a lot of uh, modern day Michael Aspender Fassbender sorry just slipped at the tongue there <laughs> uh, no it's not a great film even Jeremy Irons couldn't save that even Brendan Gle- our own homebred Brendan Gleeson couldn't save that one. <laughs> oh, it's an absolute misery for sure but yeah that's it we're getting a Splinter Cell anime and we're getting a Beyond Good and Evil movie all coming from Netflix all in partnership with Ubisoft and from some very very good talent like the writer John Wick working on Splinter Cell and like I, I seen bits of Detective Pikachu. It's a decent enough film, so I'm excited. Rob Letterman is working on that one. 
But moving on, more Netflix. Uh, Netflix announced this week that they're working on a prequel series to The Witcher called Witcher Blood, Blood Origins. I was going to say Bloodlines, it's Blood Origins. Uh, which is set 1,200 years before the main series and will detail how The Witchers came about. Uh, it's being written by current showrunner, and again, I'm sorry if I pulled up names here, Lauren Hisrich and another Witcher writer, uh, Declan DeBarra. And it's going to be a six-part limited series. It's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's um, it's also pulling away from Geralt and what we know as the Witcher. Yeah. So it it would be nice to kind of get like the whole legacy, and then again, it, they could expand into what they call the Witcher universe. You know, everyone's doing it, so why not? Yeah, the big expanded universe. But uh, do, like, do we need a Witcher origin per se? Like the birth of the Witcher sort of creed or cult or whatever you want to call them. Personally, yeah. I think so. Why though? Because you could have spin-off stories. Okay, but elaborate. Like, did you need The Hobbit? Well, no, but The Hobbit was there, wasn't it? Yeah, The Hobbit was there and then, you know. See, The Hobbit was know. sort of, but The Hobbit was built into The Lord of the Rings. Like, Bill was writing the book yeah, but in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, make the three more movies. But we still got the three more movies. Well, yeah, the movies were different from the books, though. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. That's true. I can't can't argue with that one. (coughs) Uh, What do we think of the limited series thing, though? Actually, no, sorry, I interrupted you, Derek. What were you saying? (laughs) Thanks very much. No, I I didn't. I thought you were finished your points, but carry on. Like, at the end of the day, it's all down to making money. And whatever they think is going to make, and Witcher is making money. We should put that on like a T-shirt. That'd be your slogan. Everything's making money. Everything's making money. That's just your one go-to thing. They're all making, They're money. All making money. They're all ripping us off. You know, whatever yeah, way they can no, make no. money. Definitely, and it's an interest, and you know, because like TV goers have literally just seen Geralt being the Witcher. Yeah, she just appears. But it would be nice to see how they come to get their powers how they're chosen you know it, it it's it's good that way you know so yeah i'm definitely looking forward to it. it it will be interesting and again it does it will expand on the lore a bit i'm not 100 percent sure whether i want to see uh witcher origin but you know it's 1200 years before the actual main series who knows it could be interesting um, moving on with that, we are going out of the Netflix route. We're going into Emmy nominations. I have no idea why I mentioned these. I just feel I need to mention them. They've made such a big deal about them <coughs> this week. Uh, Watchmen's leading the Emmy nominations with 26 nominations. Uh, have you watched Watchmen's the series? No. It was actually really good. There were some parts I didn't agree with now, to be honest. I um, wasn't a huge fan of how they handled Ozymandias, uh, who's played by the great Jeremy Irons. Right. Yeah. Nah, look. Okay. No, I've never... I have, like, I, I normally dip my toes in, I up, like, mm. look at an episode or two, but genuinely, I haven't even looked anything up about this, so... Yeah. It must be good if it's out of getting that many nominations. It was, it was a really good show, and it was a really nice take on the source material that I have sort of looked into a little bit. I'm a bit afraid of looking on Watchmen because Alan Moore just kind of scares the living crap out of me. So it it's probably sticking more to it it's does been, it's yeah. been more faithful to the comics. Mm. There was a huge change made in the Zack Snyder film, particularly to how the film ends. Of and course, uh, it's Zack Snyder. Yeah, yeah. And now to be fair to Zack Snyder, now that film I think does have a much better ending to the actual comic. And if there's any Watchmen fans listening, there goes. 
they're going to crap all over us now for that. But anyway, because it made sense. Do you know? Um, do you know how the comic book ended? No, no. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um, right. So basically, the the whole thing about Watchmen is that the world is basically on brink of nuclear war. So like the Russians, the Americans, they are going to start a nuclear war on each other. They're all sort of pointing their guns at each other. And Ozymandias, who's the smartest man in the world, uh, who's played by Matthew Good in the film, comes up with this fantastic idea to basically turn everyone's attention on something else. Because if they're not targeting each other, they won't kill each other. You know, they need a common enemy to sort of get behind. Yeah. And he does this by dropping a dropping dropping a gigantic squid in the middle of New York City. Right. Yeah. Okay. But in the film, it's made out that the attack that happens on New York it's is actually Dr. caused. Manhattan. It's caused by Doctor Manhattan, and I I kind of preferred that because it took something that was familiar from the film, and then sort of gave it a yeah yeah. Especially because the whole arc that Doctor Manhattan goes through is, you know, he's trying to uh, get his humanity back because he's he's not human anymore. Yeah, basically, and the whole of humanity tur- uh, turns against him. Yeah. That's a pretty oh look it is a pretty good. But again, that's all that's all part of Ozymandias' plan. Do you know, it's to get people to turn against Dr. Manhattan, so you have this huge attack. It may I thought it was a better choice from the movie, but in the show, we are, I think, thirty years on from the squid attack. Do you know? Right. And there is an episode in it, I do think, where they do flash back to the actual attack. And it's just it looks cool visually, it's stunning. But I just I think it is a bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Watchmen, it's definitely worth a watch, the TV show. It is definitely worth a watch. I would definitely recommend it. I do believe the guy that wrote it, co-wrote Lost. Right, okay. Can't remember his name, even if I wanted to. Can't remember his name. No. Uh, moving on, I was informed that um, Outlander received no nominations. <laughs> yeah, you can tell exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a little in-joke between us that, uh, you know, yeah, Outlander got no nominations. This is the main reason why I mentioned it, though. Our own Paul Meskel received a nomination for Best Lead Actor in a Limited Series. Fair play to him. He did a fantastic job in Normal People. But he was called British by a lot of journalists. You know, a lot of articles calling him British. Yeah, because you know? it's like they try to claim him, you know. No, I'm not all... I don't really like that whole claiming thing of actors, you know. Like if Michael Fassbender wants to say he's German, let him say he's German, you know, that's fine. Oh, we really reached with him. Oh, yeah, we did. Do you know, he was born in Kerry. No, he wasn't. He was raised in Kerry. <coughs> Do you know, but he's, but he's technically he's German. But Paul Meskel is the backbone. He's as Irish now as a tub of Kerry gold. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what he is. <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. Uh, so fair play to him. Congratulations on your nomination. But mother of God, Do you know, he's ours. Just leave it at oh, that. Oh, he is, yeah. Do you know, well, believe it. Will you be watching the Emmy, Stephen? I don't know. Highly doubt I will be. Probably give it a probably no. look at the highlight reel like we always do. I really struggle to even sit down and watch the Oscars. I highly doubt I'm going to sit down and watch the Emmys. Do you know? I don't even watch the Game Awards and I run a game and podcast. I don't yeah, even watch the it's Game Awards. Uh, do you know? Yeah, we're the type of people that we don't sit through. Well, we know. Well, look, we do. We sit through certain things that will interest us. Yeah, like and a new console reveal. That's a big deal. <laughs> do you know? It only happens every now and again. <laughs> but like you're just patting people on the back, giving them awards. So that's all it is. It's just a pat on the back ceremony. Yeah, but look, at, it, at the end of the day, these people worked hard. They deserve these awards. Like, yeah. if someone I'm handed not, you an I'm award for, like, 
you know, I'm not standing saying, looking pretty into a camera. Pretty sure you can go up there and accept. I'm it not too. saying that they don't deserve the award. By all means, you know, if you deserve it, you deserve it. There you go. But like, there, that's three hours of my life I'm losing. I could be doing lots of things, like uh, playing video games, playing video games, making podcasts. Do you know? Uh, but moving on, uh, it's been 25 years since 1995. Did you know that? Wow. Yeah. I feel really old all of a sudden. And because of that, Ghost of the Shell is getting a 25th anniversary Blu-ray edition. Uh, this is the anime directed by, I'm going to butcher these names, but bear with me, Mamoru Oshii. And it's based on the manga by Shiro Masamuni. I, I totally, I arsed them up big time. I know I did. Yeah, I'm plus the Irish accent doesn't help. God, no. God, no. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is a fantastic film. Oh, it's a great film. I watched it. But it is getting the 4K treatment to mark its 25th anniversary. There is a 4K UHD Ultra HD Blu-ray releasing in September of this year. Have you watched Ghost in the Shell? No. No, you need to watch Ghost in the Shell. Of course I do. Yeah. Did you watch the 2017 uh, adaptation with Scarlett Johansson? Yes. And I, it's not... A, it's. I did hear it's not actually spot on. I people it's, do actually. It definitely say tries. Well, I mean, you can, when you compare it to the likes of, uh, say, the Death Note adaptation, which was not very good, especially if you've seen the Death Note anime, it's uh, ye, but, ye. but uh, no, Ghost in the Shell is. I heard from I haven't actually seen it in full, but from what I've heard, it does actually really try to at least capture something from the anime and the manga. But just the fil- the anime alone uh, is just ridiculous. Like he'll be th- he'll have you in deep thought. They're like, "What's going on? What is life?" Do you know, <laughs> I went into it not knowing what it was, and I came out knowing even less. That's the way you want it, John. Yeah, that's the way you want it. That's but the way want by it. God, it's got some seriously nice visuals. You're just staring at these scenery shots, and you're like, "Wow, that's just yeah." Gorgeous. Should have been put on a t-shirt. Should have been put on a t-shirt. I went in. <laughs> I went in. Uh, no, nothing. Came out, no less. <laughs> I came out in, no nothing. I came out, no less. Let us know if you want us to start an official merch store. We probably will end up doing it for our own vanity. But however, uh, so yeah, that's that. If you're a fan of Ghost in the Shell, there you go. You're getting a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray coming out in September to mark the film's 25th anniversary. Here's another fun fact about it. I also discovered it's got a previous 25th anniversary edition. That came out in 2014. What? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read the article fully. I don't know how that works. I somehow relate it back to the manga. Maybe that was 25 years in 2014. And then they just gave it to the the film. I don't know. But yeah, there's a fun fact. In 2014, we got a 25th anniversary Ghost in the Shell. Okay. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, But moving on, following up last week's What's What, we talked about Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenant. And how it doesn't have a release date. Yes. Yeah, well, about a day later, after that episode went out, uh, it got a release date. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know when the official release date was, the first one that came out, but I know Ireland wasn't in it. We were somehow left off the list. Thankfully, though, a day later, it did say that we were getting this film on August 26th, which kind of took me by surprise. Are our cinemas even open? No. When are they planning to open our cinemas? I have no idea. Oh, um, so we're in... 2nd of August now. Yes, what phase are we in? No idea. No idea. I think we're in like phase 3, so we're going on to phase 4. 
And I think if it's for the likes of public houses, casinos, um, cinemas, I think once everything's going well, but I think that's coming shortly. I think that's this weekend. Right. So I think, again, we're <laughs> doing this podcast on the weekend. Everything's a bit up everything in the air. Everything gets dropped. So look, chances are, uh, with a roll of a dice, they could be open, which would help us. Um, or else they mightn't. But look, we'll we'll see. We'll I'll find out when we get there. We'll be able to tell you on like uh, the next episode. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if the cinemas are open in Ireland, you can go and see uh, Tenant if you're looking forward to that movie. It's coming out August 26th. <laughs> And lastly, on the what's what, I just want to cap off with this little thing because honestly, this hurt when I read it. Argos is no longer printing their catalogue. I know, I heard. Oh my God. Like, talk 50, about your childhood. 50 years. 50 years. 50 years. Man, there's just so many Christmases were planned in an Argos catalogue. Like That's it. And <clears throat> I did actually hear that there's a website um, that you can go to and you can actually have a look at every single Argos catalogue. From the very first one right up until this one that's being printed. My God, that is brilliant. It's just it, like it's so, it was shocking when I read it. Pure <laughs> yeah, shocking. Yeah, but look, they're moving with the times. They're moving, most of us shop online, so, you know, now they're just used as a pickup depot. Yeah. You know, they don't really, no one buys a catalogue, no one. <laughs> These were free catalogues, you just picked them up in the shop though. That was, the t- but it, like, you never needed them. Especially not in the last five years, you've not need an art catalogue. By God, do you know it made for some great type of material. Every household had an Argos catalogue. Dead right, it did. <laughs> and you go in there at Christmas, coming up to Christmas, like six weeks beforehand, with your pencil, and you'd be circling things that you wanted, <laughs> and writing down the freaking six-digit codes, <laughs> only to get over there and then typing them into the freaky little like. It's our stock, but it's available in a county six over from. Yeah. Me. Oh. <laughs> I remember I went into Argos. I love how we're going off on this tangent. I remember I went into Argos, and it was sort of after they had brought in the whole uh, the computer system with the touchscreens. Mm. And I was just, I had no idea what I was doing. Because when you're so used to typing in the number, like you're typing in a phone number, like it's just to suddenly go to touchscreens, even though I'm so used to touchscreens, I have one in my freaking pocket. This was just completely baffling me. I'm here, like, how does this work? Where's, can I just, there's no numbers. There's no buttons. It's all touchscreen. <laughs> so there's our little, there's our Argos tangent over. Can't believe we went down like an Argos route. Uh, look, that's how it is. That's how it is in this show. Do you know? We just fly off the handle sometimes. Anyway, that's the what's what. Capped off. Good week. Good week. Very lot of announcements, and hopefully we'll find out more on those announcements in the coming week. But now I want to get on to the main segment of the show, and I know we had briefly talked about it last week because uh, Comic Con at home was happening last weekend and I had planned to maybe bring in a few things to talk about that were announced then and then I thought no we're not going to do that instead we're going to talk about uh, how this all affects conventions because honestly this has to be the most lackluster year for Comic-Con I have ever seen it's not just Comic-Con it's It's pretty much every every convention out there um, and obviously with social distance and now it's it's too hard it's way too hard to actually pull off these shows and I think part of the normality of it is 
everyone would have had stuff set up. They would have had the boards. They would have had the meet and greets. It's all done away with. Yeah. Like we it's were all pl- done away we, with. We were planning on going to Comic-Con again this year. Our own Comic-Con. Dublin Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah, which is definitely at this stage. It's not going ahead. Not even the autumn one's going ahead at this point, I'd say. Um, but honestly, like, you know... I mean, we've seen things like Sony doing stuff like State of Play and Xbox doing their own thing and Nintendo Direct. I'm really sorry I didn't remember the Xbox name thing of it because I just have her name and PlayStation and Nintendo's <laughs> one, but however. <laughs> and they can sort of do these sort of E3-esque presentations live and they all work out. And then you get to something like Comic-Con, which has been around for a really long time and it's just... There really wasn't anything there, do you know? Look, there probably wasn't like a lot of time to plan it. I do know Apple did their Worldwide Developers Conference. Yeah, <clears throat> but that was all kind of pre-recorded, and it was literally like one big long two-hour video. But it was like I watched it. It was really different for Apple. Very well put together. Very engaging, so from the f- from the word go, but like Apple are literally the king of keynotes, so yeah. like they can't, they can't get anything wrong, really. Yeah, but I do think this is probably the way forward for a lot of things. Um, for me, it's very kind of disheartening because you know, f- for the next while, anyways, until everything's kind of sorted out. There won't be conventions that we can go to. They'll all be online based. Yeah, because it, like conventions are known for like huge capacity of people flowing in and flowing out of like a single area. It's obviously not ideal for the current conditions. So I think for now they're going to be put on ice. But as regards to comic, comic on a home, it was called. Yeah. I do think it was really odd. It was like there was the whole, um, say chats. Um, IGN were doing one. Yeah, and I can never think of that man's name. Silent Bob. Oh, um, no, it's gone from me as well now. Kevin Smith. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he held a couple of um, kind of meet and greets, and they they chatted to the likes of Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and. You know, but it was odd. I think it's really, but this whole year has been odd. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, do you think it'll be a lasting trend? Because I did see towards the beginning of all this n- nonsense um, when the likes of E3 was cancelled that, you know, maybe things going uh, live streamed would be better off, you know, because the expenditure would be gone. That whole spending element would be gone. But do you really think now, after seeing how Comic-Con from home sort of fared out? And no, because... Okay, so what... You're kind of missing the whole aspect of a convention. Yeah. The whole point of a convention is a group of enthusiastic... I'm going to say it out. Geeky, nerdy people. Yeah. Gathering, cosplaying... Meeting vendors, buying stuff, trading stuff. That's what a convention is. That's why 
we have them. Yes, I know E3 is built around games. Comic-Con is built around comics. And but it's all the same premise. Yes. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, a convention follows the same similar sort of things. I don't think it's going to die out. I think, if anything, we're going to, when this ends, it's kind of like saying when I win the lottery lately. Yeah, that's um, very true. But when, obviously, we will go back to some sort of normality. Yes, I do think there will be a couple of changes. I do think that, you know, social distancing will, will still kind of be there. We obviously won't be able to cram six or seven hundred people into a small room. Or, but I don't think it's going to die out. For me, I think, if anything, when everything goes back to some sort of normality, it'll be back stronger than ever because you have communities of fans that drive these comic cons drive these e3s so yeah no i think it will i think it'll work out yeah i would hope so because like we've only been to dublin comic con it was the first real convention i'd ever been to anyway and it's just the atmosphere in a place like that is unreal like it's completely not what you think it's going to be at all it's just a bunch of really happy people yeah we put it off for years we never yeah we looked at it and we were like, oh, I don't know. It started about six years ago or something in Ireland, Dublin Comic Con. And for about six years, you're constantly thinking, oh, will I, will I do it this year? No, it's too much money. And then you have money suddenly in this one particular year and you think, oh, feck it, yeah, I'll go do it. And then you come out with a sword. Do you know what I mean? Or two swords. Two swords. Two yes, swords. I bought two swords at Comic Con once upon a time. <laughs> Why? Because I could. That's why. That's, I can't do it anymore, but I did it. <laughs> I nearly broke myself, do you know, yeah, financially. It's the whole aspect of that. It's getting out. It's witnessing the cosplayers. It's witnessing the, the meet and greets. Like, I genuinely thought the meet and greet with the cast, like, the, uh, the year, like, we went, there was Lou Ferringo. There was... Patrick Warburton. Yeah. One of the girls from Charmed. I can't remember her name. Oh, we'd be killed for this I one. I know. The, um, I'm going to really butcher this one now. The ice fella from uh, Game of Thrones. The White Walker. Oh, yes. But like... And our guy. Oh, Roger Clark. Yes. The voice of Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, and we do actually have um, snippets from that. His, his little Q&A session. It was a we, past idea. We probably yeah. will talk about it in the future and it will tie in more. Um, but like that whole experience, I genuinely, because like you were the same, it was our first time ever doing the like the whole Comic-Con thing. Yeah. But I came out buzzing. Like there is people going around and some of the cosplays was That's all unreal. Like you just... It's not like your Saturday night dress up. It's this is top of the line crap, and I just yeah, no, there it, was, it was brilliant. There was like some seriously impressive. Like there was one guy dressed as Batman from the Nightmare sequence in Batman versus Superman. Yeah, yeah. But it was just it was like he literally went to the set, stole the, the suit, car, like, and then and came just, out. Yeah, it was awesome. I remember him standing in line in front of us when we're queuing <laughs> to get in and I can see this brown jacket and I'm like, I know that. Ja- I swear I've seen that jacket before. He literally gets his ticket scanned, he walks in the door and yeah. then he dons the cow and it's just yeah. like, oh. I like, I turned around, turned back and there's Batman. I'm like, Jesus Christ, where did he come from? 
Or then there was another time I was walking through like the stall area and uh, this big armoured Batman from Batman vs. Superman yes. strolls past me and I'm just kind of stopped looking at him and then I turn back and see Superman just coming straight <laughs> behind him. <laughs> it's the two of them went together. You're like, wow, did you, did you two just go to go anywhere together? It's brilliant. Yeah, I just, I don't think it's going to die off. Yes, look, there, there will be a, a kind of a shift. I do think a lot of companies for like the likes of demo and games. Yeah. I think the likes of that will move online and I can see Apple with their worldwide developers conference probably shifting over to the online kind of side of it. But in saying that though, I could eat my words because they've invested money in the Steve Jobs Theatre, which is a theatre specifically designed for intimate unveilings of products and stuff like that so chances are they could decide no look we'll keep the legacy going we're going we're gonna keep doing this yeah i just hope they don't kind of lose it because at the end of the day it's how fans get to meet their idols i know you're not supposed to meet your idols but it's still a way to do it you know yeah, and it's 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 cool and you get to engage with other fans of the same franchise like yeah like you're into and you know yeah it's 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 very it's a very happy atmosphere that's the it's a very nice sort of atmosphere to be in buzzing atmosphere yes and it's the only place you'll see like a stormtrooper batman and an ood from doctor who all in the same room (laughs) and it seems totally normal like you're looking at these things that you've seen on telly you're like yeah that is so normal I'm, i'm so used to that and if i saw that anywhere else i'd be freaked out but here it's fine it's just totally fine I will say though, the stall part of it is very, very dangerous, and not in the like the dangerous sense of you know you're going to be mugged or something. There, you're not. But like, actually, you well, you might. You know, that's mugging's always a possibility. You know, it's never a hundred percent, but it's never zero percent either. Do you know what I mean? Um, but like, it's just you'd want a small mortgage you're fucking right you would it's just you know it's, it's like you're walking around and you're yeah. looking at these like it's like um, I'm going to use Forbidden Planet example like because Forbidden Planet in Dublin is like the go-to nerd area you know it's the hub um, it's that scaled down and multiplied all around you and it's just very dangerous yeah but you had like you had the the ones we would know so you had like Dublin City Comics you had Forbidden Planet but then you had the ones that we never really heard of. There was two guys from Belfast, the comic book guys. Yeah. And, like, we got chatting to them and, you know, I happened to buy a, a limited edition print. Um, I'm going to be killed for this one. It was Judge Dredd up at the Belfast docks. And the artist that had actually commissioned the prince happened to be upstairs and the guys literally said well he has signed it but you can go upstairs and actually chat to him he's up and he's actually doing like like live drawings yeah and you know that experience that that for me was one of the coolest experience ever not only did i buy something belonging to the artist but i actually could go up and and actually talk to him yeah you know, that for me was pretty cool. So I just hope that, you know, we can continue doing it. Because 
in all fairness, <laughs> our first ever convention, and then the following year when you're all hyped to go and do it, the freaking <laughs> coronavirus, coronavirus lands, lands, and that's it. We're just screwed. Can't go anywhere. And I planned to actually get the Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> it's just like, could you imagine bringing that home? That table was so cool. Oh my God. It's like, you walk in, you look over, and all you see is just a big table of weapons. Yeah, and you recognise all of them. Yeah, and it wasn't even just like normal. Like It was literally the likes of the Final Fantasy blades. There was Kratos' axe. There was... Pretty much nearly every Assassin's Creed, even down to, like, the, the little daggers. Yeah. And everything had a hefty price tag, but obviously, because it's a replica, it's going to be yeah hefty. But uh, definitely, for me, I would recommend going to as many Q&As as you could. Yeah. And There was know. a lot of talks that I wanted to go to in particular as well. Like, there was an awful lot on writing and stuff. And then you just get completely wrapped up in the stall <laughs> aspect of it. Which, to be fair, you know, it was our first time experiencing something like that. And it's very, very hard to sort of pull yourself away from the things you want to bring home with you. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that maybe in the moment is you think is a fantastic option to buy. But my God, when you get it home, no, it's not. <laughs> like, I spent 15 quid on a Shaun of the Dead reprint script that's signed by the whole cast. And it's cool, you know... It's it's nice to have on my shelf to look at. I'm a big fan of the film and uh, all that, but no, fifteen quid for something that's actually not worth anything to me is a bit. So you know, I probably should have got the back of the future part two one, but look, we're not going to get into that. See, you could have done that, or you could have done what I did and got a prop replica of the sports almanac. Now, see, now that was that was a decent buy. Yeah. And actually, from the same table you got that, I got a little, no, I won't say little, it's a rubber glove of the <laughs> second version of the Infinity Gauntlet from Endgame. Yeah. And like, I was so not going to get it because it was 20 quid and it was a rubber glove. And I thought that is absolutely pointless. And then I saw it lit up and I was like, oh, well, now I have to fucking buy it. <laughs> Do you know, <laughs> it's got lights. Of course, I've got to buy it now. Uh. Oh, it's just you really stupid things to spend your money on but my god you're gonna do it in the moment but that's it and look we're getting back to it again this what like this is the whole aspect of it and this is yeah. why it's never going to die out because it's a weekend that you plan for it's a weekend that you go up and you just lose yourself yeah you become like technically we hide it away like we're not openly nerdy we mm. go home and we like nerd out when we're at home even though in the last like 10 years I'd say nerd culture has sort of taken off and it's become very sort of commonplace now and you have a lot of nerds just kind of floating around being very open about their passions and fandoms but even now we're still very much you know I'll keep that to myself because I can go a bit overboard on the information that I can deliver to somebody about said thing and but when you're in a situation like a convention you don't have to worry about that. You can just go in and you can freak out over like a little plushy fucking Darth Vader. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine because there's a lot of other people doing it as well. So I think gathered from our little discussion here, uh, the convention, such as Comic-Con, probably isn't going away anytime soon. No. But I do briefly want to bring you back to something you kind of glossed over, which is the gaming conventions the likes of State of Play and stuff, and E3. 
can they go? Will they be going? Um, because when you take likes of State of Play and Ubisoft forward, unlike, say, Comic-Con, where a lot of information that came out flew under the radar, these things sort of did creep up, do you know? Yeah, no, look, I I do think that there's a good few things that could kind of disappear. But the likes of E3, like, a lot of game developers get their feedback from players that are there. So you, like, have these sample, like, versions of your game, and you think yeah. you get, like, 20 minutes of play with it. But what people probably don't realise is they're actually taking statistics, they're watching how gamers are playing a game, and then they might decide, well, we're going to tweak this, or we're going to tweak that. And by not actually having that could affect the game. Plus it also allows people to get their hands on the game early, get a feel for it, and get stuff out there. The likes of me and you, like, and I think people are going to find this really odd, because we do a game and podcast, you know, we talk about games, but we've never been to a game and <laughs> a gaming convention. Well, we don't really. <laughs> we never was an option for us. Cause cause the, yeah, because the only real here. ones, E three, and it's miles away. The closest one that we would have is actually technically Gamescom. That's but that's in Germany. Yeah, we did have one. There was a games convention held in Ireland about a year or two ago, and I, you said you wanted to go to it, and I said no. Because it was the first year. We'll let the first year get out and we'll see how it goes. And it freaking, you know, it was queues galore. There was queues wrapping around the buildings five times over. Oh, what was, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, it was just, I, I, kn- I knew there was something a bit iffy about it. I knew there was. And yeah, what they oversold tickets. That was the thing, you know. Yeah, the queue wrapped around the building four times. Yeah. And like this building is not a small building. It is gigantic. Yeah. And this is the same building that Dublin Comic Con was held in. Yeah, and, and that was really well. Like, even though the queue was long, we queued for an hour. But once we were in, like we were in, you were in. And if you got, if you were, if you had to step out for something, you could go back in straight away, like, and it was fine. Yeah. But like, there were people for that games convention queuing for hours for the whole day, and by the time they would have got around to actually getting in, sure, that was it. Do you know they they were closed. They were finishing. Do you know? All the talks were over and all the stalls were, if there were stalls, I don't even know if there was, were closing up. I don't know because we weren't there. And thank God we weren't there because <laughs> I'm not queuing, <laughs> you know, for the whole day to get into something that I'm going to spend trunks of money on. Yeah, I'd rather just queue for the hour and get in and spend trunks of money. But yeah, you know, maybe one day we'll do E3 or Gamescom if they're still around. You know, everything gaming could go digital, which I suppose might end up happening because it still kind of does the same thing. And it's probably cheaper. Yeah, look, I I can see E3 sticking around because it's more of a Comic-Con convention style. Mm. But the likes of Sony's state of play... And they're, are, they're really pushing that now. You the know, state of plays are becoming really popular. Yeah. I can see that happening, or Ubisoft's forward. I, I can see all them, yes, absolutely have an online showcase of like what's coming but the likes of e3 i think it it, it will stick around because it's more consumer focused yes i know the rest of them are consumer focused but it's more of a physical presence yeah 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 um 
I just want to briefly, before we wrap up this one, because we have been going for a long time on this topic, I really hope the gaming convention doesn't sort of end, mainly because of how I saw the PlayStation 5 reveal, which, compared to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3, is a little bit sort of disheartening, because with PlayStation 5, it was very much a CGI model that we saw in its reveal. Whereas with past consoles, we physically have actually seen the console. Yeah, they actually pick it up in their hand. They hold it out to the crowd. and But this time, we didn't see that. Yeah, and like we actually had to decipher how big the console was yeah. going to be. Because like, not only that, they debuted a new controller. So we didn't even have yeah. anything to like scale it with. Because normally we used to look at... Because obviously there wasn't much change between playstation 3 and playstation 4 controller so we could kind of gauge off it oh yeah because he's actually physically holding the console in his hands so we know it's going to be that size yeah genuinely people had to decipher how big this was going to be you know yeah but yeah look it's all getting back to whether you want physical or online i do think that they would need to do a physical esque version you know like obviously given the current circumstances yes you have to be adaptive you have to think on your feet but I do think that having an actual guy on a stage debuting to a crowd plus when you get the crowd's reaction and the applause and cheering you know that really does feed into it yeah yeah so long story short the conventions are hardly going to die well I hope not hope not they probably won't at least Comic Con won't I'd say but um, gaming's a bit different because they're doing so well with the online stuff. But yeah, uh, let us know online on the social medias what you think. Do you want the convention to stick around or are you happy with them going online? Let us know on the socials, the Facebooks, the Instagrams and the Twitters. There we go. Uh, moving on, we're going to head straight into the nostalgia box. I have a semi-tragic sort of nostalgia boxy thingy, but it's something I've been trying to work into the show for a while. Uh, this week, sadly, the director, Alan Parker, passed away. Alan Parker's worked on a lot of films, mainly most commonly known for Angela's Ashes, and if my memory serves correctly, Bugsy Malone. Yes. Do you know? Good films. Great films. A lot of rain in Angela's Ashes, <laughs> but there we are. Uh, but here's the film that I wanted to talk about, because oh, it just breathes Irish culture in it. Uh, that's The Commitments. You know? I knew this was coming. I had to come at some I point. I knew this was going to I had to, to bring the Barrytown trilogy in here, one way or another. And unfortunately, I am bringing it in because of Alan Parker's death. And that's hugely tragic. He is a really, you know, inspirational director for me, at least. Because he did something with the commitments back in 1991 that had been done before, but from studying Irish uh, cinema and all that, it had been done very differently, and that was he really captured a picture of Ireland that we didn't really see in cinema, particularly if you look at The Quiet Man as well. Yeah, because there's no leprechauns in it. Yeah, there's no leprechauns, no stagecoaches. No, yeah. No, here you are. Well, there's a bit of that, but you know. Yeah, but it's, again, it's, it's when Hollywood kind of goes for Irishness, they lose track of what is essentially Irish. Yeah. It becomes literally an over-the-top Irish accent and it's green fields and 
horse-drawn carriages and you know it's oh, it's so far away from what it is but the commitments is literally raw dublin city we we, we don't know what part of it because it's they kind of make it up as they go along yeah um so we've had three films in the barrytown trilogy and they're we they're based somewhere on the north side of dublin somewhere between Kilbarrick, Harmonstown, you know that kind of general dart line area but um it's really hard to nail down whereabouts Barrytown actually is in Dublin itself. But I think, you know, and compared to films like The Quiet Man, you know, Ireland was very, and I, I can say this because I'm paying three grand a year to say this, Ireland was heavily romanticised in that film, which is the green fields and the leprechaun kind of thing about it. Mm. But when you look at the film, like The Commitments, it's an Ireland you can actually see yourself living in. That we do kind of live in that kind of Ireland, you know. Yeah. It's very rough, you know. It's just rough. But that's that's Ireland. It's a bit rough around the edges. And we swear an awful lot. And we drink an awful lot. Yeah, but we love you. Yeah. We love you. No matter yeah. what, we love you. That's the way the Irish people are. We, yeah. You know, we get a lot of shtick because we're alcoholics. I think back to the Family Guy um, clip when they're like landing in Ireland. And literally they're landing on like a, sh- a shitload of like beer bottles. Yeah. You know. Or there's the joke where they discover whiskey. And like, <laughs> we're really clever, the Irish. And then they discover whiskey and that's it. That's what starts it all. <laughs> like, it's just stuff like that that really <laughs> grinds my gears, to quote Family Guy. But yeah, like, I watched it. There's a bit of, uh, I have the 25th anniversary edition of The Commitments. And... uh there's a few featurettes on it, but one of them is Alan Parker discussing how they captured the image of Ireland. And him and a photographer went out into Dublin and they went into the sort of suburbs area in the north. And uh, they just had a mosey around. They went into, I think, because at the time the Bally, Ballymun Flats were still there. Mm. And uh, they went into that sort of area and they looked up and just sitting on this balcony, not even sitting on it, just poking its head out on this balcony was a horse. Just had its head just jutting out over the balcony. And uh, they took that and adapted it into a scene. So there's a scene in the film where Jimmy Rabbit's going into a flat, like a like a tower block, and there's a young kid in there going to bring a horse into the lift. And he goes, "You're not taking him into the lift." And he goes, "I have to. The stairs will kill him." <laughs> it's just <laughs> like it's going in and seeing stuff like that, and then you like you, only in Ireland you could you see something like that happening, do you know? Yeah, but it's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's 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 the side of Dublin people don't. People don't see. No. It's yeah. all you're all about inner city and south side. Oh, stick on the north side there. It's it's a bit rough, but by Jesus, it's good. It's good rough, track. but it's down to art. You're dead right. I never felt more at home than I did on the north side of Dublin. <laughs> and I went to college on the south side. And you know, being a bogger and going up into the south side of Dublin, and you're very out of place. Because everyone's a bit prim and proper, and you're kind of there like, you know, you're rough. You've got that farmer's edge to you. You might never have farmed in your life. But by Jesus, you've got that farmer's edge. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But then you suddenly head over to the north side and you realise there are people there who have that farmer's edge too. And you're like, holy shit, there's normal people. Wow, look at that. <laughs> so I felt, like I remember I was on the north side one night and some lad let a roar at me and it was the most normal thing in the world. Like I felt so like, yeah, that, that's fine. That's grand. But anyway, going back to the commitments, you know, it's a really good film. But I have read the books. 
All right. See, now I'm going to I'm going to talk about these. I know you want to talk about them. I wrote essays about this in college, and <laughs> you know, I want to. You know, I'm paying a lot of money to go to college. I want oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. spread that information on you. So this is me spreading it like butter. Um, the books were written by Roddy Dial, who's a fantastic writer, easily one of my favorite, and um, he captured a level of sort of Irish culture that I think Alan Parker did kind of miss on. And that does come down to the songs that are sang in the films and the book. Because you see, in the film, like the songs are very much one-to-one recreations of their original pieces. So you take a song like... Um, they're all there now. Uh, Dark End of the Street, mm. who I believe was originally done by Otis Redding. And if it wasn't, I'm sorry. But there we go. Um, that's pretty much the same. Lyrically, it's all the same. But in the book, um, they actually add in little references to Ireland or specifically Dublin to make it a bit more Dubliny. That's the whole premise. So there's this uh, one song that's in the book that's not in the film. It's called Night Train. And in it, the singer in the band, Declan, goes off on a huge tangent about all the things that you see on the dart going from Connolly Station up the north side. And you're kind of there like, yeah, I've seen stuff like that. Do you know, he talks about people shifting at the back, and you're like, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Do you know, dogs on the dart, yeah, I've seen that too. Do you know, it's just, it's little things. And I think that's the main thing about the commitments was it very much captured Irish culture in a way that was never really captured before. I'm running out of breath because I'm talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <clears throat> Take over for a bit, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it's not even that. It's just the whole aspect of the characters... I think the commitments had a lot of memorable characters. Yeah. But not even that. The whole Barrytown trilogy had memorable characters. So, like, you had, um, it's the father. Yeah. Jimmy Rabbit Sr. It's Colin Meany. Colin Meany. <laughs> He's the only consistent. So, basically, when the commitments was made, there was copyright issues. It was produced by Miramax, who have done films like... They pretty much did all of the Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah, so what they did was they copyrighted the name Rabbit. Yeah. So because they copyrighted the name Rabbit, Rabbit could not be used for the other two movies. So The Van and The Snapper. Hands down, I know you say Commitments is a good film. For me, The Snapper Oh no, The, the Snapper is definitely, yeah. definitely high up there as one of like the best Irish films ever made. But like... Yep. The commitment just has a special place in my heart, you know. I know, yeah, look, but again, it's the nitty gritty of Dublin. It's the bit of Dublin that most tourists don't see. Yeah. And I think it is the essence. Like, if you ever want to experience it, and I, I know it's kind of like a dying breed now, but Moore Street is literally the essence of Dublin. Yeah. You know, going down to Moore Street and, you know, that's the cool bit about it. But, you know, having them characters, that's what makes it. Anyone can put on an Irish accent. Some but it's when you badly. actually get Irish, Irish people. people. Yeah. You know, like Brendan O'Carroll is in it. Yeah, he's in The Snapper. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it, it, he's one of the memorable characters. Um, Brendan Gleeson. Is in the snapper. Oh, Brendan O'Carroll's in the van. Yes, yes, he is. He is. Brendan Leeson is in the snapper. 
you know, and it's just they add to it. Yeah, you know, it's it's what builds it. For me, the films are very memorable. You know, and it's just, but I'm always going to fall for the snapper over the commitments. It's just yeah. They also for especially for someone like me who was born at the tail end of the 1990s, and these films came out in the early 1990s. It definitely showed me a side to Ireland that I'd never seen before. Because by the time I sort of came around to all that life, essentially, when I was old enough to go off and dick about in Dublin on my own, <laughs> do you know, a lot had changed since those films. Like, I worked in Dublin for a while in Dunleary, in the shopping centre, and I went in and out of there for a solid year, and it's a very barren sort of shopping centre. There's only a few shops here and there. And then you watch The Snapper, which has an entire scene in it, in the shopping centre. And it's freaking rammer jammed. You know, yeah. it's loaded with shops and it's busy. And you're like, that's not, no, that's what happened. Do you know? There's only like 30 years between them. What happened? It's so weird. But yeah, that's the kind of, it's innovative for me. Do you know? Yeah, and look, they're underrated. They're um, Hugely, hugely. You know, and I think it's the likes of movies like that that people do actually need to sit down and watch I know there's it, there's a, like a lot of inconsistencies obviously with the names and yeah. the characters but I don't know if you were to remake them oh I wouldn't I see you them you would lose yeah like, they're like our Back to the Future trilogy they're just so well done that just don't touch them yeah because they're they fine. fit the timeline that they're in yeah so the whole setup and delivery of them if you were to try and uh, and remake them, it would not work. I yeah. think they're now set in stone. And, and like you said, they are our Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. You know, there are certain things that you shouldn't touch. And the Barrytown trilogy movies, yeah. The Commitments, The Snapper and The Van, brilliant. Let's just leave them the way they are. Yeah. But, um, Especially the, especially like, say for instance, the snapper. Like I know the commitments was very well received uh, globally, especially in the states. Like it took off really well. And when you think about it, like the only real sort of Irish films you had over there at the time were influences like from the Quiet Man and such. Mm. And then you look at the snapper that came out a year or two after the commitments, and it was a TV made for TV movie, done by the BBC. You know, it was a very low budget kind of thing, but it's. You know, it's just so... I'm trying to figure a word here. Do you know what I mean? Nostalgic. Yeah. It's... I do think that if Miramax had actually took the time to actually say, look, there is a trilogy. We're going to sign you all up. We're going to make one after the other and keep the characters kind of somewhat consistent. I do think it, it would have took off... Like the snapper, it's down to the story. So whether yeah. it was made by the BBC or it was made by Miramax, it's down to the story and the characters. Yeah. So I think if you'd have stayed with the characters, you know, it would have still worked out. I do think it would have reached the global. It probably has reached the global audience. At this stage, I would say yes, it has. But um, it was, I'd say back then in the early nineties, it wasn't as. It was probably slower to take off. Yeah. Than especially, the especially the snapper. I know we were. I know this entire section was de- dedicated to the commitments, but we're talking about the snapper now. And the snapper was a very, and this isn't just a reflection on the film itself. Roddy Doyle introduced this in the book as well. It's a very progressive kind of movie, do you know, because it's 
it's dealing with something that was seen very taboo at the time in Ireland. And it's such and it's dealt in such a very nonchalant kind of way because the main character is pregnant from this mysterious man who we don't know about for like half the film. And the parents are just kind of, oh sure, we have to deal with this now. That's it's that's it now. What else can we do? And like our mother was alive at the time. <laughs> and she even said she's told us stories about where it said it was um it was actually banned in the Republic of Ireland for a while. You know, because it was so the subject matter was very taboo. Like this is a young woman getting pregnant from a mysterious father outside of marriage. And you know, it's just a bit it was a bit taboo. So the way she watched it was in a pub when someone brought down a taped version of the film from the north and played it in the pub. Yeah, because what would happen is and it's a bit like mad when you say it out loud. Most like local theaters would be screened by a certain person of the parish would actually take the film and would go, well, that scene needs to be cut. That scene needs to be cut. So a lot of people grew up not actually realizing that you're missing 20 minutes of like a film, a film or even a TV show. And it probably like people probably watch movies and hadn't a clue what was going on because critical scenes were cut out of it. And I'd love to say this happened like, you know, fifty or sixty years ago. This was like thirty years this ago. This is thirty. Some for some years it was even like nearly twenty years ago. This is you know, this was this is a, this went on for quite we're not going down this route. We really should not be going no, down this route. No, we're not going route. to go down this route, but look it's <laughs> just need to stall the digger. Yeah, there. we're gonna stall the digger now. <laughs> yeah. No look I I do think that they were groundbreaking for Irish movies. They yeah. did, they really did, like, rock yeah. the country. Because, yeah, look, the commitments, they, it's dealing with, you know, like a, a young entrepreneur that, you know, is trying to build a band up. Yeah. All the hurdles. The snapper is dealing with you know underage pregnancies yeah. and the van is literally it's a midlife crisis yes that's exactly and what it is it's it's bang on the money and it's to do with again uh, poverty in Ireland and you know because in the middle of the film there's a recession happening yeah. and the main character Jimmy Rabbit Senior is out of work he's on the dole and he's going through a midlife crisis because he's not working you know yeah. they're fantastic films to, that really you know just up Ireland and this sort of like you know because they're real. Yeah. They're actually real problems. They're not like, you know, oh, I'm I'm trying to find my pot of gold there at the bottom of the rainbow, yeah. you know. It's what would really be happening. Yeah. You know, the father has lost his job. Now it's time to go down to the, stand at, like, at the doll queue. Don't want to stand in the, at the doll queue. Let's try and figure out like, a way to make money. Jimmy Rabbit Jr. does the very same thing. Yeah. You know. Do you want to sign on to the social welfare? No, I don't. I'm going to try my best now to be the biggest businessman and make the most amount of money with my rock and band. Yeah. You yeah. Know. They've also, they do have deeper themes as well. Like um, the commitments, I'd say, is about friendship. And then the snappers yeah. about family. And then I said the bands again, just middle-aged, middle-aged, <laughs> middle-aged, you know, that's it. You know, uh, they're growing great. Old, the fear of growing old. The fear of growing old. Know. They're um, great films, well worth to watch, and the books are definitely well worth to read. And if if you have read them or watched the films and you want a bit more from 
those characters. You can, Roddy Doyle did write technically a sequel to The Commitments called The Guts, which is set 20 years after Jimmy Rabbit's in his 40s and he's got bowel cancer. And it's not as great as The Commitments, but I really enjoyed it when I read it. You know, because it's this character who's still doing the same things he was doing in the first film, but he's a lot older now. Troy, a question. Yes. Should they turn it into a movie? The Guts? Oh. Only if they can get Robert Arkins back, who played him in The Commitments, and get Colin Meany back to play old Jimmy Rabbit. See, it now nowadays is the perfect time to do it, because those actors are now 30 years older than how they were when they played mm. the characters in the film. So yeah, I maybe I'd like to see the guts be adapted. I'm not too sure. It's just, do you know? Well, hopefully there's like a film producer or, you know. Irish, an up-and-coming Irish director who's thinking about it. Who knows, maybe Roddy Doyle listens to this. I highly doubt it. <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt it. Ah, uh, like, one can dream, Sean. One can dream. Oh, Stephen, we're so, we're after spending so long on that topic. Oh, you look, at, it's okay. We just we talk so much that we're not we're not actually we talk so much we're not going to get our last thing in. We were going to talk about Umbrella Academy season two, so let's just really quickly throw in something. Is it good? It's brilliant. Is it as good as season one? If not better. Oh, if not better, I think it's very well rounded. Um, so season one kind of introduces you to the characters, gets it kind of set up. Season two literally sees the characters thrown out of kind of their comfort zones and then basically trying to adapt their new living style like styles and then you could see the characters progress and become kind of these new versions of themselves and I think it's for me it's really good. Um definitely love Klaus and it's yeah. not just because He's one of our own as well. Yeah. Robert Sheehan. He's okay. one of our own. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not being biased. I just genuinely think Klaus's character just resonates. No, he, w- he was even the best part of season one. Him and five were like two yes, of the best characters. Forty five year old man trapped in a like eleven year old yeah. kid. And then it's just awesome. You throw in I think it's Ben is the ghost. Yeah. He's I the d- dead one. And it's just yeah, the three of them when you I mean when they had their moments in season one was really good. Yeah, I and look, I do think the whole Story, I, I'm not going to ruin it because it's literally only out. Yeah. So, I I think the story is really good. And it's, there's a lot of f- funny bits in it as well. And it just, and the soundtrack. Uh, one thing I'm going to say, the music in Umbrella Academy, whoever is doing it needs a clap in the back. Yeah. Because I just think f- from a, from the first episode... I'm only on episode 7. I know there's 10 episodes. I'm nearly there. I'm going to binge it. As soon as this is over, I'm going home to binge the last three. Yeah. But from start to finish, the soundtrack is just phenomenal. The characters are more rounded. And I think we're now starting to see the nitty gritty of the characters. Yeah. You know. Um, And also, I need to look up when I finish this up. um, Because this is obviously based on a series of comic books written by Gerard Way, who is... Most famous for being the lead singer in a little band called My Chemical Romance. And in the season one, he did do a few songs, just him and um, I can't remember the lead guitarist's name from My Chemical Romance. It's the dude with the long hair. Yes. Yeah. They did a few songs together. And obviously since that season's come out, 
My Chemical Romance have gotten back together. So the inner killjoy me needs to know if the, they all got together and just recorded the song for the show. They might have. I didn't look at it either. But look, it would be cool if they did. It would be cool. Like if you they did. actually haven't seen it, so I think no. Next week we'll probably next week we'll have it all kind of wrapped up. Like I will definitely binge my way through it, and uh, you were practically finished at this point. Yeah. So yeah. We'll have a much bigger discussion. Next change, because normally I'm like last to the... Yeah. You know. Like, what, well, we're... We started this podcast with The Last of Us Part 2 and you still haven't played it. Yes, Sean, I gathered yeah. that. And at this stage, the internet just wants to forget about The Last of Us Part 2 and I just say, <laughs> it's okay, we'll just forget about it as well. Um, but on, on that note, unfortunately, it is time to uh, finish up your games and pack up your... Cash in your tokens. You're going to get this eventually. Old sayings. Uh, because the arcade is now closed for business uh, thank you very much for tuning in to this episode we hope you enjoyed and we're very sorry that we nearly went down a very very political route towards the end yeah we'll watch it now next time oh it's just it's so easy <laughs> to go down that route Do you know it's very easy but my god I am happy though we got to talk about the Barrytown trilogy it was going to happen one way or another in this show especially when we opened up to do movies and such I, I have planned to bring them in somewhere. But yeah, again, it's tragic. It was a good topic. It, it was, was a very really good topic. Good topic. I was, I did get very political at the end there. So very the sorry. We'll watch it. We'll, we'll watch, watch it. In the future. Um, but yes, if you'd like to hear more, all past episodes are currently available on all your favourite podcast players. Uh, we have also got Twitters and Instagram and a Facebook at DRK Podcast where you can keep up to date with all the good things that do be happening, even though I don't really post on them because... I'm lazy, but there we go. Do you know? And get in touch. Let us know about the things we've been talking about on the show. Do you know? Yeah. Do you have, a, have a rant, have a rave. You know, that's what we want. We want you to have the banter with us. Yeah. Even if it does get slightly political. Do you know? <laughs> Even if it does get slightly political. Uh, thank God we don't drink when we do these podcasts. <laughs> Thank God. Totally sober. Oh, just it would have three hours. Imagine hour. if we were drinking. Oh, like three hour rant. It just would have lost everything. I have to <laughs> do this again tomorrow. Uh, but with that said, I'm Sean. And I've been Stephen. And we will catch you in the next one. This is the Arcades signing off.